Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. 205 DJS and KMOX. The House is going to vote uh, whether to oust McCarthy as the speaker. Right now, they're all up giving their speeches. Uh, so we'll go on to other things, and then when they take the vote, we'll let you know how it comes out and maybe carry some of the national stuff, uh, depending on which way the vote goes. Let's talk a little sports wheels. Uh, I have no idea who's in the playoffs, but I want to because I want to keep watching baseball. Yeah. So outline for me and the listeners who's playing and when. So obviously it's it's the expanded format. So there's the wild card round now, and obviously another games. I know that's not brand new this year, but it's just a reminder in case anybody hasn't been paying attention to it. Uh, so the, those are starting actually right now. The first one of those starts, uh, well, essentially at 2 o'clock. So it's just now getting ready to go. That's the Rangers and the Rays. So you got Texas and, and Tampa Bay in one of them. Toronto and Minnesota in the other one. Those are the American League wildcard matchups. And then you got the Diamondbacks and Brewers and the Marlins and the Phillies. And then obviously the bigger teams, the the higher seeds, the top two seeds in each league, they get to the bye to the next round. So the rounds you're having right now, are these best of three? Yes. Okay. And they're going to be three straight days, no days off, none of that, all at the site of the higher seeded team. So the Phillies, they're going to get three home games against the Marlins. It's like a home It's like a home series during the regular season. How do you season. like this? It's better than the old format. It's better than just the one wild card game and go home. Um, it, first of all, it just baseball's not a one game and out sport. It just isn't. It never has been. And to to put an important game like that is a bad idea. It's also better for TV when you get more games yeah. in the postseason because they make more money on the TV contracts that way. So the other day, I think we carried it on our news. The other day, uh, on the last day of the season, they brought Mosaic out and he got booed. Yeah. My question is during this. the during the Wainwright ceremonies yes. and all that. Yeah. My, my question to you is this: uh, Is that just we sucked and you're the boss? Boo? Or is that do you think? For a specific reason, because Cardinal fans are pretty savvy, do you think it's you screwed this up and we know how? It's both. It's both. I mean, if they had won 93 games, he wouldn't have gotten booed, right? I mean, so the the results, and nobody, and Mo will be the first one to tell you this, nobody is more responsible for the record, good or bad, than the guy in charge. I mean, he's the guy in charge of baseball operations, so he's going to get either the praise if you make it to the postseason and make a run, or you're going to get the criticism when you don't. 
Um, so there's no question that it's a bit of both of what you say. Um, a lot of people in the fan base have been critical of the direction for several years. Uh, and the main criticism they, that, that I get from Cardinals fans, and it's not, a, it's not like 80% of Cardinals fans. It's probably about a third of the fan base that's like, listen, they, all they care about is being good enough to make the playoffs. They're not trying to win the World Series. And I'm like, all right, they, I don't think that's true. I think they see a different way to do it than what most people do. Because what most people want is spending, right? Most people want go into free agency, get the biggest free agents, and go. Well, the three top payrolls in Major League Baseball this year missed the playoffs. The Mets had a record payroll. It was the highest payroll in the history of baseball. And their record's not much different than the Cardinals. So I And I was tweeting about this with a couple of guys last night. I don't care about what they spend. But you got to be good. I care about how good the team is. And there's clearly something missing. I mean, there's... To go to drop 21 games from one year to the next, to go from 93 wins in a division title to 71, 72 wins, there's something wrong with how everything's being decided. So other than, I mean, you, you can't foresee injuries and things like that. Other than that, being as critical as you're comfortable with, yeah, yeah. Uh, looking back, what should we have known that we didn't pick up on? Well, I think it was a it was a really common theme, not just from the fan base, but from baseball people. So um, people in the market that cover baseball, Derek Gould, Bernie Miklas, lots of other people that have really strong, good, strong baseball opinions, thought they needed to go get more starting pitching last offseason. Um, Do you lot- think that they would say that Hey, everyone loves him, and it was really sweet, but we probably should not have brought Wayne Wright back. Well, I mean, here's the th- they, they shouldn't have brought him back without a better safety net is the way that I would put it. Um, I would have brought him back. He had a good year last year. I mean, when a guy goes out and posts a 340 ERA over six months, I don't need to tell that guy to go home. I'm okay with that guy coming back and because I, I wouldn't expect that ERA to go from 340 to eight or seven and a half or whatever it ended up being. Um, but the, 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 the argument was you had too many question marks and we, we absolutely saw that play out. So the, the team bet on Wayno being able to repeat what he did last year. They bet on Jack Flaherty being healthy and being good. And Jack wasn't good. He wasn't good enough. Let me put it that way. Um, and not enough to Why be what they looking needed at the pitching coach. Well, because he's new and these problems have been building for years, right? I mean, he literally just got here. Um, and I wouldn't put anything on I mean, it's not it's not a pitching coach's fault when a forty year old falls apart. Yeah. It's not a and we're you know, look, Wayno's also physically I don't want to say ruined, but he's got a lot of things going on. And he's he's alluded to it in interviews. There's a lot going on there. Um and I wonder if we'll find out more down the road about how bad it was. But yeah. you bet on Flaherty, Flaherty didn't pay off. You bet on Steven Matz on a four year contract. Steven Matz has not been good enough. You bet on Jordan Montgomery and he was really good. But then you had to trade him because the team was bad. You bet on Miles Michaelis. Miles Michaelis had a bad year. So when four out of the five guys you banked on for your rotation have bad years, you're, this is what happened. And then you throw on top of that the bullpen. The bullpen blew 16 games last year, saves, 16 saves. They blew 28 this year. 28 saves. Those are games you're leading in the late innings that you need to win. If you win half those, we're if you not win, in the playoffs, but we're not as embarrassing if as we you, are. If you convert the same percentage that you did the year before, at the trade deadline, you're in a wild card spot, and you're within a couple games of the division lead, and you're not selling, you're adding. Yeah, It changes the whole season. And the complaint that people had, not the complaint, the analysis that people were giving 
the beginning of the year, so last offseason really, was they need more pitching and they need to have more of sure things and they had too many maybes. And if the maybes pan out, you're fine. But if the maybes don't pan out, you're not fine. And that's what happened. The maybes didn't pan out. And they've had an issue with developing young starters lately. Matthew Libertor still hadn't figured it out. A lot of their top prospects in the minor leagues had bad years this year, either through injury or performance. Uh, the one that had a really good year is a guy named Tim Kentz. We're gonna, you're going to hear a lot about him. He's really talented, but he's super young, and he's he's not close because he's not physically at a point where he could start enough games to finish a major league season. Okay, this is as in the weeds as I'll ever get. Yeah. But as a former college catcher and an expert on baseball, which I think you are, when you watch Libertor and Madsen and Flaherty and all these guys, is there any common thread like, oh, they're throwing too many meatballs down the middle. They're not throwing enough this. They're throwing too many of that. There's not one thing that ties them all together other than they pitch in the same organization. Um, most of it, like for Libertor, he can't command his fastball. So when he comes in the zone, he's coming into the middle of the zone. He's not able to set hitters up as well. He's not been efficient with his pitches. Um, Steven Matz has also had command problems. Miles Michaelis compared to normal through too many pitches that were hittable in the middle of the zone. Um, but I, I think there's a real, there's a real problem with the philosophy and that is they don't target the same kinds of pitchers. Other teams do. They don't value strikeouts the way other teams do. So when you are a strikeout pitcher and you're off a little bit, you always have that ability to get a swing and miss when you need it. When you're a command pitcher, using Dakota Hudson as an example, the team has been extremely frustrated with Dakota Hudson because his problem is entirely command. A few years back, he threw more strikes, and he was a much more effective pitcher. Ever since he had an arm problem, he hasn't commanded as well, and he gets beat up. When you can't miss bats and you have command problems, you get hammered. And that's like overarching philosophy. It's basically that. Michaelis is not a strikeout pitcher. Wainwright's not a strikeout pitcher. Flaherty is eh. He's kind of on the borderline of it, but his problem was command, too. He said it over and over again himself. These aren't my words. These are Flaherty's words. He couldn't command his fastball half the time. Well, if you can't command it and you don't get, strike people out, you can't survive. Okay. Uh, let's talk a little blues. Blues uh, begin the season in just a few days. What's Man. the outlook? So they're kind of a tweener. I mean, if you look at a lot of the power rankings that are out there, so if you're looking for a non-wheeler opinion, they're kind of in the... 22 to 25 range in the power rankings I looked at. So your borderline playoff team, right? Cause you're going to get, I mean, you're, you're a little below the playoff line based on those, but you're in that, they're in that mix where a good year, they make the playoffs a, a little bit of a down year. They miss the playoffs again. So they're kind of on that edge and it's already, you know, they're in a spot where like Tory Krug is probably not going to be ready at the beginning. He's been banged up. they, they're in a weird place because they're, they're they have real severe cap issues, and but they have real problems they need to fix. Like they need mm -hmm. to fix themselves on defense, but you don't have the room to do it. And it, what you would have to trade away to do it would also damage you so much in another area that it's going to be too hard. If they're going to make a run, if they're going to be a playoff team, you'll have to get outstanding goaltending, and you're going to have to score a lot of goals. My opinion, but so, I think they're they're not a boring team. They should be somewhat fun, um, hopefully. But I I think that they're in that if they make the playoffs, you're probably a six, seven or an eight seed. You're not going to be one of those top four or five. So like the Cardinals, are there blues players who in the last season or two have uh, underperformed that are very clear? And then secondly, who will be the most exciting newer players this year? 
Well, all of the underperformance has happened on defense, to my opinion. It's not to say that some of the guys up front don't have, shouldn't be couldn't be better than they've been in play in in places. That's it's not my concern. Like Jordan Cairo can be a better two way player, but he's still an exciting young guy that scores a lot and can be a massive offensive force on the team. Um, I think I think Robert Thomas has got another level. He'll reach at some point as a as an offensive player, but. You know, you're paying Colton Pareko number one defense money, and he's playing like a like a third pairing guy at times. At best, though, like a number three or four. Um, you've had injuries with Tory Krug, who's getting paid a lot of money to be your top guy on the power play and to be a guy that's on your top pair or in your top t- in your top four, and it, and they're not getting that production. So, to me, the guys that you look at as not living up to expectations would be most of the guys on the defensive side. Not to, again, not to say that the forwards are off the hook. Yeah. I just don't think they're as big a part of the problem. Final question for Rachel and Andrew. Isn't it weird how much Wheeler knows about sports? <laughs> like, when we first yeah. met him, he was the sports guy, and you're like, yeah, duh, he does sports open line every night. But now that he's been mm-hmm. with us, and we just watch him watch prank videos all day, we're like, <laughs> how did he find the <laughs> time? How does this stuff? he find the No, literally, how does he find the time? So I have this game that I'll play with Kevin sometimes where I will just start looking up, like, random baseball players that I've never even heard of, and I'm, I'll be like, Hey, who was this guy? What team was this guy on in nineteen, you know, sixty-four or what? And Kevin knows almost all of them, like just off the top of it. He doesn't even have to think about him. He's like, "Oh, that would have been San Diego." He's always right. I'm not always right, but I'd say on those things, probably ninety percent. <laughs> that's a, that's as humble as he can get. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I also yeah. have been noticing. I'm only right almost every time. Kevin's accent whenever he goes into sports like this, because you'll it's be like, faster, you'll be it? like out, like yeah. it, it's almost like it's like up there, you know? It's yeah. like because yeah, you're northern. from from the yep. north, but it just really comes out when we're talking sports for some reason. Yeah. Also, since he no longer gets to fight with people every night, he takes it out on octogenarians who call into the DGS. <laughs> yeah, that happened on Sports Open yeah. Line too. Yeah, we need to we need to get him at least one shift a week doing that's, sports. That's not new. That was on Sports Open Line all the time too. 224, so the House is still debating before they vote to oust uh, Kevin McCarthy as speaker. We'll let you know what happens when it happens. Uh, good day for it to happen either way because we have the think tank coming up with uh, Gene and Jeff Rainford. Uh, I interviewed Mickey Dolans from the Monkees today. No one loves me more than a 79-year-old rock star. Mm-hmm. Am I right? Yeah. <laughs> right? No, they, they immediately come alive when they talk to you. Yeah. Like, they He's stick that to you old? Like glue. He was born in 45, in so my, he would be 19 God. years younger in than In my me. mind, I still see the guy from when I was a kid on oh. TV. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we had a really good conversation. Andrew was in on that. So what we're going to do is we're going to play a part one of that tonight at 445, play a part two tomorrow. Anyone who's a rock and roll fan or especially a Monkees fan, like we get into some stuff that you probably never heard of before. Yeah. Like, for example, uh, Mickey was almost the Fonz. Really? What? He tried out to be the Fonz and evidently so did Peter Naismith. No, Michael Naismith. Mm-hmm. And uh, they didn't get it. The lore goes because they uh, are both about six one, six two. Uh, Richie Cunningham was five ten, and they didn't want the Fonz character to outshine Richie Cunningham, which he obviously did anyway. Yeah, with, yeah. with Henry oh. Winkler being five seven, heaven forbid. Uh, so yeah, I thought that was. And he he tells the story how when Henry Winkler walked in, he saw Mickey Dolan's there, and he goes. I'm not going to get the job. Aww. He's a monkey. Well, at the, right at the time, <laughs> Dolan's was a star, and he yeah. was nobody. Yeah, yeah. So, so interesting interviews. Mm-hmm. 
Um, what do I want to talk about now? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I'm, Look at the old notebook and I'm, take something out. I'm so weird. I'm so uneven with what bothers me and what doesn't. Mm-hmm. You, you want to hear something that bothers me that is ridiculous? Like, I'll make fun of people. I'll even comment on their appearance, which I know you shouldn't. But the fat bear thing going on right now, you hip to this? Can you explain this? Because I saw a headline about it, and I thought, I don't know. So it's basically where bears live. Uh, It's almost hibernation time. And so they're gorging, and they're eating up to 100,000 calories a day. Wow. And Mm -hmm. so we have picked out our favorite bears, and it's like, hey, there's Otis. He's weighing in at 573, and here comes little Tum Tum. And and they show the picture. (laughs) of the bear and they put their weight and i know they're bears bears can't read they're not on social media but it just somehow feels wrong what are they being too cutesy with it or something no she's like hey here's a big fat ass yeah it's like they're because they get like like freakishly huge before they go into hibernation they're about to hibernate because they're just gonna yeah they're just gonna do nothing but sleep for like uh six months also but they get so big fat is amazing we would not be here as a species without fat I mean, whether God thought it up or evolution and nature did it, the fact that because for most of our existence, we've been starving, mm-hmm. right? Yep. It's pretty recently that any of us had any extra weight on us. But uh, nature or God was smart enough to say, well, what if we had this mechanism where you could actually store energy? Because that's all fat is, is just stored energy. And that's why we get fat, because we take in more energy in calories than we expend in our day. And so much we get fat. Um, <laughs> but isn't that amazing? <laughs> like, if we didn't have that ability, like, I could see, I could see creatures from another world coming down and going, well, that's ingenious. Look at this. Mm-hmm. They they can just take in a bunch of energy and then store it up. Our bodies are machines in like really fascinating ways that like it's not like I shouldn't even say that our bodies are machines because machines are like built on you know what I mean like what the body already does. And you like look the whole at how long and gears we can live without eating. You know if you have enough stored, uh, if you have water and some sort of nutrient, you can live a really long time. Is that true? Yeah. I always wondered if that was true. No, like, I'm sure we also Google this on the break, but there are, like, instances of this person weighed 600 pounds, they didn't eat for this many months, and blah, 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 blah. So, yeah. I mean, I don't think that's the healthy way to do it, (laughs) but. Ah, there uh, you go. Uh, 30 to 50 days, you'll become weak. 43 to 70, you could die. But you can go a month without eating. 70. Yeah, that's what it says. That's absurd. Welcome back, guys. DJS on KMOX 234. Last week, we had our friend Frankie on from Haunted Garage. They're putting on the Haunted Garage Horror Fest, which is at the high point this weekend. You can uh, get tickets and find out more about it at hauntedgaragehorrorfest.com. When he was in, he was talking about uh, Professor Athena Actipus from uh, Arizona State University, who has become famous uh, not just for her actual work on, on things like cell biology and cancer and theoretical evolutionary biology, but about zombies. She is the founder of Zombified Media, the host of the podcast Zombified, and so that's kind of the angle I'm sure she'll be talking about this weekend, but when we heard about her, we wanted to book her, and she is with us now. Doc, very nice to talk to you. Thanks for being with us. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you about zombies. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> so when did this when did this happen for you? Like, and was it in any way an expected shift, or just one day you're like, well, I guess I'm the zombie lady now? 
Uh, kind of both. I mean, I was kind of getting a little bit like disenchanted with the like overly serious approach that a lot of people in academia were taking to like communicating about like really, really cool findings. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, I mean, there's so many things that happen like in cell biology and organismal biology that are like science fiction. They're just crazy. Uh, But people were, you know, in my field, like we're talking about them in like really boring terms using jargon. And I was like, oh, but this is so cool. I want to like, I want to have fun with this. And so, uh, so it all really started with um, starting this conference, which we called the Zombie Apocalypse Medicine Meeting, I love um, it. which uh, honestly, it started as a joke. Uh, I was sitting around drinking whiskey with some of my friends and we're like, you know what we should do? <laughs> We should we should start a conference um, that's about the zombie apocalypse. And uh, we yeah, we thought we were joking. And then we woke up the next morning and we're like, actually, maybe we should do that. I love that. <laughs> so, when, so a million years ago, I ended up going to law school. But in, in undergrad, I had uh, I was a psychology major and I had a professor who really liked me. And he tried to talk me into getting my Ph.D. And I'll never forget uh, I said, well, it looks like I'm going to go to Wall Street Law School. And he goes, well, you'd have a lot more fun in psychology. And he was right. Uh, so for you, like when you were going through school and, you know, okay, I'm going to do psychology, I'm going to get my PhD or, or however it went, uh, what was your like original, and in- original intent to do when you went into academia? Well, from the very beginning, I was just really interested in understanding cooperation so, like, how do um, humans cooperate, but also how do other organisms cooperate? How does that evolve? And then, like, what things threaten that? So, you know, like, how does cheating make it, like, less likely to get cooperation? But then how do, like, organisms and, like, social systems actually evolve ways of suppressing cheating or otherwise managing it? So, so that's been, like, my interest from the beginning. So I was always super interdisciplinary. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, then, you know, it really was kind of in the last 10 years that this whole world of like, you know, starting to be really creative about kind of the science communication side um, mm-hmm. just started to really resonate with me. So like a lot of the stuff I talk about with zombies is really just about how some organisms can hijack other organisms and sort of take them over. It's like a like cheating on steroids. It's like rather than like taking a free ride, you're just like yeah. getting in there and like hijacking the organism and making it do your bidding, which so, is so sci-fi and cool, but it actually happens so b- in biology. Before we get into the zombie stuff, let's talk about cooperation. Uh, I'm sitting here watching Matt Gates give a speech or trying to get rid of Kevin McCarthy. Uh, whichever side of the aisle you're on, you'd probably agree with me that politics have become less cooperative than ever. So as an expert in this, when you watch just the daily news, do you find yourself going, yep, 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 yep. Here's why they're doing that. Here's why they're doing that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really unfortunate. I think there's a lot of potential for us to come together around shared goals, but there's just so much focus on places where there is sort of divergence of values or particular goals. So, um, you know, one of the big things that I like have worked on and, and thought about and um, done, done research on is really like, you know, how can you kind of get people on the same page about 
um, being interdependent, having shared fate and all of that. And, you know, the fact is, even people who have really different political views, there's still a lot of things that they have shared goals on or, um, you know, there's still a lot of things that they could maybe have an interesting conversation about and share information with each other. So so I think a lot about things like that, like how do we just how do we change the conversation a little bit so that we can get to know each other as people, we can learn from each other um, and you know, like to see that there's benefits in having different perspectives on the world too. Um, because, you know, if you don't, if you just talk to people who think the same way as you, then you are a certain kind of zombie. So I'm going to turn you over to one of my co-hosts, Kevin Wheeler, who's super into zombies. So, <laughs> yeah. Kevin. Compared, compared to you, Athena, I'm a, I would be clearly an amateur, but I was just curious in, in <laughs> looking at what you've, you've, uh, what you've researched, what you've discussed, some of the things you've gotten into, have any of the fictional depictions of this, made any sense at all because I've always been the all right dead bodies coming to life doesn't sound like it's going to ever be real or a real threat but there have been some other more modern ones that look at it a little bit differently as far as how it would happen yeah well so the topic of my talk is zombies are real so I do think there's some ways that zombies are real but then there's also some ways that zombies are totally not real so we can start there like, for example, like the way that most zombies are depicted on in, you know, TV and movies is as these like undead like creatures mm-hmm. that have like huge like wounds and they're like hobbling around and they're just not thermodynamically viable or energetically viable. Right. It's like you can't even maintain enough blood pressure to move if you have the kinds of wounds that right. the zombies have. So they're metaphysical creatures like those kinds of zombies are metaphysical, metaphysical creatures. But, um, like, if you look at something like The Last of Us, um, it's not really a, like, cordyceps is not really a threat to humans just because um, the biology of cordyceps, like, can't really take over mammals like us. But the kinds of things that happen to humans in that show are not all that different from ways that the cordyceps fungus does take over insects to get those insects to do the bidding of the cordyceps fungus. So this idea that like some entity could take over an organism and then kind of like turn it into a shell of itself to have it, you know, go around and spread the, you know, offspring of that organism in one way or another, that's totally a thing that happens in biology. There was was another one that was also, I mean, similar idea, like biological warfare, essentially. I think it was a movie called The Crazies where it was more of a, experimental government chemical that ended up, you know, getting spread in the public. And I know that's those, I'm not, again, I'm not trying to say those things are happening, but those would be the scenarios, right? Well, yeah. And there's a lot of ways that zombie apocalypse stories can resonate with many different kinds of catastrophes and challenging situations, right? So that's part of why there's such awesome stories is because they kind of offer us a way to engage about a whole bunch of potential scary scenarios, but safely, right? Because we're watching a story. We're listening to, you know, characters sort of going through this fictional thing, but it can potentially help put us in a mindset where it's a little bit easier to contemplate scary futures and um, what we might do about them, hopefully cooperatively to make it less likely that we'll be in for an apocalypse. So Athena's going to be in town this weekend for the Haunted Garage Horror Fest. Uh, Doc, anything else we can promote for you? Oh, uh, I have a book coming out in April, A Field Guide to the Apocalypse, a mostly serious guide to our wild times. So it's available for pre-order already on Amazon. 
Very cool. Uh, nice to talk to you. Hopefully we'll talk to you again soon. Sounds great. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Doc. 247 DGS. The House is still debating before they vote on uh, ousting Kevin McCarthy. Pretty interesting to listen to. Um, just on break, I, I heard a couple of people giving their little speeches. But when anything happens, we'll let you know. We have a think tank today at 4 p.m., so we'll cover everything in uh, great detail. Rach, what do you got? All right. Have you guys heard about this new phone etiquette? I saw an article about this. Uh, the new phone etiquette is that you should never, ever call first. You should always text first. So you should always basically send a warning text letting you know, letting people know that you are about to call. How do we feel about this? I always do that. I always appreciate that. Of course, there are different levels of people. But like even any of you uh, who are my closest friends, if I see your name pop up on a call, I'm going to assume something's bad. Yeah. Right. I'm going to assume that there's a problem. Hmm? Yeah. I I think that generally speaking, that's a great idea. Phone calls are scary now. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Even less than that is sometimes you just don't feel like talking. My, like you, know, you text someone, you up or you're awake or you're around or you cool. Hey, I got you got a second or whatever. And you don't. I don't do that for like parents because they to them a call is normal. Yeah, that's what they lived with their whole lives. They don't. That doesn't freak them out when somebody calls them. But yeah, I get my kid will be like, if I call her and not text first, she'll be like, what's wrong? Mm-hmm. That'll be how she answers. Mm-hmm. I'm like, nothing's wrong. I just brother, thought of something. My brother called me last night. I knew he was going to be calling. I was expecting his call, and it's still when the phone started buzzing. I like. I was like, oh, like staring at his name on the phone. Like, I have to answer I, the I, phone. I think we're also. I can speak for myself. I I make a living speaking, and I struggle to have phone conversations because I do it so infrequently. Mm-hmm. Mm. Hmm, I guess it doesn't bother me as much as it bothers all of you guys. Yeah, it doesn't bother me. Like, Let's all call Rachel tonight. I always have. <laughs> I, I always have Please words. Do. But uh, I. <laughs> It's just so much, like, I, I think a lot of what we got used to was you didn't have any other choice, so you did it. And, you know, not it's it's not that people don't want to talk to each other, I don't think. It's that, like, all right, do I want to stop the movie that I'm watching to have a four-minute conversation about something that is not that big of a deal? Well, what's so interesting is that uh, that used to be it. I, you know, like my mom would talk to her friends on the phone. I would talk to my friends on the phone. Yeah. And you'd stretch the cord to get into your room so no one could hear what you're talking about. And that's what you did. You had long, hours-long phone conversations. And now when I do talk on the phone, uh, it's pretty much like, let's get the information and let's move on. <laughs> Even with people who I like and want to talk to. Okay, I have an article here from BuzzFeed. I thought this was pretty good. These are things that are considered middle class in 2023. I think all of us are considered middle class in this studio and probably the vast majority of people listening too. Uh, But let me know if you guys agree with these. Number one, considered middle class is budgeting for the holidays. The rich don't need to and the truly poor can't afford holidays. That's kind of a bummer. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, stressing about home ownership and mortgages. The rich probably already have multiple homes and it's beyond attainment for the poor. Sorry, these are downers. <laughs> uh, let's see. Let's move on here. Actually, I think there's a good point in, in this though. Like the middle class is so big that there are people in the middle class that are really close to that bottom part. Yeah. And there are people in the middle class that are really high that are really close to that rich part too. Like, I think that's such a huge group of people that Although, it's got a wide I, range. I bet the people at the lower part wouldn't consider the people in the upper part to be middle class. 
That's a good point. Yeah, yeah you yeah. just think of them as being rich. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I know because I have said, like, I, I have a bunch of friends who are very wealthy. And I remember one of them was buying their fourth house and they were doing a uh, mortgage. And I'm like, why would you do a mortgage? Like, you have tens of millions of dollars. And and then they hit me with some sort of smart guy talk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, well, when you do that, you can amortize. And I'm like, I don't even know what words you're saying. Like, yeah. I, I know I just don't have enough to write a check for a house. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> What about this? Having a two-car garage that's so full of random stuff that you can only get one car in it. Isn't that everyone? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it would be me, but we're organized, so we're smart. Oh, <sighs> oh. Thank God. Kevin's got uh, it all together. No, I don't. I uh, am I am held together by my better half in that regard. Mowing the yard is something middle class people do. Kevin doesn't even do that either. He hires somebody to mow I his do, lawn, right? When, I mean, I, this year I did. The Last year I did it myself. Uh, if it's my choice, I will never do it again. I, I hate it's, yard work. It's, it's I hate yard work. Okay, this one is good. As a kid, going on a road trip to somewhere fun, but the whole way there, you can only eat the food your mom packed from home. <laughs> oh, that was my childhood. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's really yeah. sad when you're nine years old and your family pulls over into the Burger King park, <laughs> parking lot just so you can eat the soggy sandwiches. Yeah. From oh, yeah. We used to go to the rest stops. We oh, didn't even God. stop by the food yeah. things. We would go to the rest stops. Wet, warm sandwiches at Six Flags in the car. Yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. For ours, it was always like... PB and J or peanut butter crackers and oranges and you know whatever that was always what we had in the cooler. Yeah. And you're like the hot dog stands right there, and they're like, nah, let's stop everything. Mm. Let's walk an hour back to the car. <laughs> and we used to stop always because we drove down to Florida every year because my grandmother lived down there. We always stopped at the at the first rest stop in Florida because they had free orange juice. Ooh, nice. Yeah, it's awesome. Did you just load up? I had like 10 of them. <laughs> it's like, we got to stop. I think my hair got stop. this way. <laughs> I'm full of orange juice. Uh, above ground pools in the backyard. That's a sign of being middle class. Hmm. Anybody, I, anybody have a pool growing up? No. Uh-uh. Oh, I wanted one we, had, we had an inflatable pool for a summer that maybe, okay. maybe like two people could have fit in, but the okay. whole family piled in and it was... It was incredible. I had a blow-up pool. I'm sure I had several, but the one I remember, a blow-up pool with clipper ships on it, and the bottom was blue because it it was all over with, and the day of swimming was over. I would lay underneath it, and I loved, like, the blue light that would hit me. Okay. But my mom would make me uh, carry boiling water, like, from the basement to warm it up, (laughs) even in the middle of summer. I know. (laughs) And then, like, the little dork I was, I would just play out there in my little blow-up clipper ship pool all by myself. I don't remember ever having another kid in the pool with me, which is weird because I had friends, but I'd just be out it's there like, <laughs> just like doing whatever stupid made up games I was doing. And I would go over to my friend's house who had a pool. And my favorite part of being in the pool was like if she would be like kind of chilling on the deck and I had the whole pool to myself and I could pretend that I was like in the Coast Guard or something like saving people. Nice. Like that, like alone time in the pool is precious. Yeah. So above or below? It was above ground. Okay. Yeah. One of our friends in junior high, they, they were the only people any of us knew that had an in-ground pool with a diving board. And we were like, oh, oh yeah. let's go. Oh, yeah. We're like, hey, can we go to your house oh, this weekend? Yeah. Living large. Everybody's inviting themselves over. <laughs> I don't think, uh, as a child, I was way too scared to ever go off the diving board. And I still think I'm way too scared to do it as an adult. That's oh. terrifying to me. I've only, so my very first girlfriend had an in-ground pool with a diving board. Uh, but it was one of those, it's like two feet above the ground. Mm-hmm. Like anything Yeah, that's more how this that, one was. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Forget about yeah. it. Oh, the, the higher platform ones are awesome. Oh, God, no. When no, I was no, a kid, no, no, I no. thought I would hurt myself. And then now that I'm older, I know I will hurt myself. Mm. 
Forget the, the board itself. Would you guys ever do the tall no. platform? God, no. No, it's so much fun. I could just see myself getting up there and then having to do the crawl down of shame because there was no <laughs> way I could jump off the diving board. It just wouldn't happen. I'm, mm. I don't like heights. My hands are sweaty. Thinking I watch about it right this. Now. Uh, I, I'll watch this girl on TikTok sometimes who's like an Olympic level, like yeah, hundred meter diver. I've seen her. Yeah, yeah. She's like off a bridge or whatever. Yeah, yeah, and and she will explain that once you get up on these walkways, they are literally like one way walkways. The yep. only way down once you get mm. up there is to jump off nope. of the 100 meter. No, thank you. Nope. So guys, <laughs> T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.